Hey, you can praise God right now. Go ahead. Thank Thank the Lord for his goodness to us. And every single one of us who know the Lord Jesus Christ is a living, breathing testimony of the goodness of God to a world around us who's lost in darkness and living uh, in the world without hope and without God. And so you and I, we need to speak about what God has done for you and for me. We've got to do that. Um, I want you to open your Bible with me to John's Gospel, chapter 6. And we're going to look toward the end of that chapter, beginning in verse 52 this morning. And I'm going to begin a series of messages today entitled Words of Eternal Life. And we're going to think about what uh, Peter said to Jesus in John's Gospel. He said, to whom shall we go? For you have the words of eternal life. And we think about that phrase, eternal life. Doesn't that sound good to just think of that? When you think of that phrase, eternal life. I mean, just think about the word eternity for just a moment. How can the human mind grasp eternity? I mean, we have the little sideways eight-looking symbol that represents eternity. Uh, Any of you that are married, you can look down at your your ring finger on your left hand, and hopefully that ring is still there. You look at that ring and you think, well, that's another symbol of eternity. That never-ending golden circle uh, represents eternity. But how do you grasp timelessness? How do you grasp that? And how do you grasp living in that? I'm not sure how you even grasp that, but I do know this. The longing of every human heart is eternity. Because here's the thing. When you get old enough and you begin to think about it enough, you realize that there's going to be the end of your earthly life. It's coming. Uh, We we had a memorial service for a young man just yesterday that passed away here from this earth and went on into eternity. And so our lives touch eternity every day in some form or another, whether we're aware of it or not. And in our culture... We want to put eternity out of our mind and think about the here and now and never think about eternity. And we do everything that we can to kind of keep death over there, keep that passing over into eternity way over there and never think about it. We don't want it to disrupt our lives here and now. I love what illustration that Francis Chan uses. He takes a, a long, long rope that goes way on out the door And he takes this little part of the rope and he says, this part is your earthly life and all of this rope out here represents eternity. And it just runs on out the door from the stage out way down the steps and out the door. And he said, this little portion right here is the here and now. That little dash on your tombstone, that's the here and now. But eternity, we're all going to live in eternity one way or the other. The question is, where will you be for eternity? And so here's the biblical truth that I want to share with you today from John chapter 6. How you respond to the words of Jesus determines your eternal destiny. Now, there's a lot in that. There's a lot in that. And it truly boils down to whether you have faith in Jesus or not. That's really what it boils down to. Whether you take his words and you live them, you put them into practice or not. Well, in John chapter 6, Jesus is just dropping lots of truth bombs 
all throughout the chapter. And he's got the religious leaders and he's got even some of his disciples in an uproar over everything that he's teaching. And he's saying, you know, the, the U.S. Air Force's bunker-busting bomb known as the GBU-28 or the BLU-113 is 19 feet long, 14 and a half inches in diameter, and it weighs 4,400 pounds. Okay? It's a big bomb. In test, the GBU-28 has penetrated 100 feet of earth and 20 feet of concrete. You think about that. 20 feet of concrete, and it busts right through it. How does it do that? Well, the, the way that it does it is, number one, it's going really, really fast. Okay? Really, really fast. Uh, supersonic speeds. And it's and it's super, super heavy, 4,400 pounds. But even more than that, on the tip of this bunker-busting bomb, there is a, a head of deplete, depleted uranium. This is, this is one of the hardest substances known to man. And they put it on the end of this thing because it's harder than the concrete and it's harder than the earth, and it just makes this uh, bomb like a nail hammering through the concrete. And they can put anything on the back side of it that they want to and blow that bunker or that tank or whatever, that armor, just blow it up. Uh, it's pretty amazing what it can do. Well, the words of Jesus are a lot like that. They're a lot like a bunker-busting bomb. Now, I want you to hear the words of Jesus. We're going to begin in verse 52. I want you to stand with me. We're just going to read the first few verses here of the passage. In verse 52, after Jesus has said a lot of hard things that were hard to hear, he's dropping these truth bombs all around, the Jews then disputed among themselves, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? Now, what Jesus had just said is, if you're going to have eternal life, and this is where eternal life is, is you've got to feed on my flesh and you've got to drink my blood, for my, my flesh is the true bread and, and sustenance, and my blood is true life. Well, they didn't get it. Verse 53, so Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink His blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life. And I will raise him up on the last day, for my flesh is true food and my blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him. As the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so whoever feeds on me, he also will live because of me. And this is the bread that came down from heaven. Not like the bread of the fathers ate and died. Whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. Jesus said these things in the synagogue as he taught at Capernaum. When many of his disciples heard it, they said, This is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? Let us stop there and pray. Father God, I thank you, dear Lord, for your words today. I pray, Lord, that you would give us wisdom and insight, Lord, that you would be with my mouth as I speak, Lord, and it would not be uh, by wisdom or, or by power or by might, but by your spirit that I communicate your truth to your people. And, Lord, that we would all collectively uh, resign anything that's not of you, Lord. 
And Lord, receive with gladness and joy the word implanted that might change us from within and make us more like Christ. And that we might live out this truth in the world around us so that the world will see Christ living in us. And it's in his name I pray. Amen. You may be seated. And as we think about the words of Jesus, I want to share with you four truths about his words that he shares in John 6. Number one, the words of Jesus are difficult. The word here that they use in, uh, that the disciples use here in verse 60 is hard. The Greek word, I looked it up to see what it meant, and the Greek word simply means hard. That's what it means. They're hard sayings, difficult, hard. And, and some of the hardest things that we can think of is concrete or, or metal or steel or depleted uranium. And that's the way Jesus' words are. They are difficult. Now, Jesus has just fed 5,000 people with loaves and fishes. Just three lo- uh, five loaves and two fishes. And he's feed- fed 5,000 people. And the reason that he did that was to show them that he is God. Amen. Only God can do that. And, and each and every one of these good Jewish people, are there, as they're watching Jesus break the bread and... and and he's blessing it, and it's multiplying, and now the people of Israel are being fed, the good Jewish uh, students of their Old Testament scriptures would have said, hey, we know when that happened before. God rained down manna from heaven, and he fed our forefathers in the wilderness. Now, they, some of them had that interpretation a little bit wrong, and Jesus corrects it because they say Moses fed the people in the wilderness, and Jesus says, no, no, no. God fed the people in the wilderness. And so what is Jesus claiming there in John 6? He's claiming divinity. He's claiming that he came from the Father and that he alone is God. Well, some of these people, they just could not accept that. They weren't going to be hearing any of that, that Jesus was God in the flesh and that he himself was the true bread that God provides. And many of the rest of them, though some of them had intellectual Uh, issues with what Jesus was saying. Other people, they just simply were there because they wanted to get fed. And Jesus uh, really called them out. Jesus said they followed him because they were hungry, not because they saw something miraculous, not because they saw something uh, extraordinary in the person and work and signs of Jesus. Now, many of the people knew that Jesus was a miracle worker. But some of the people, they just didn't, they just looked right past that and they thought, man, we can get free food from Jesus. How many of you like free food? I like me some free food. That's the best tasting food you ever eat, is the one that you didn't have to pay for (laughs) or cook. And somebody else took care of it for you. And so Jesus has amassed this great crowd of people, just the intellectual Jewish people that are just enthralled by everything Jesus is doing and saying, plus the people that are just hungry and they want some food. And Jesus has this giant crowd. Some estimated that it it could have been upwards of tens of thousands of people that are following Jesus. And, And they've just gone all the way around the Sea of Galilee to find Jesus. And you would think, okay, well, if you were really setting out to, to, to begin a movement in the land, and you were going to change the culture, and you were going to be a, a person of influence, and you would want as many followers as possible, right? I mean, you, you hear the YouTube people, every, at the end of every video, if you're liking this video, don't forget to like and subscribe, right? 
Why? Because they want so many followers. So Jesus turns around and he looks at his followers and he says, if you want to you have eternal life, eat my flesh and drink my blood. Those are some hard words. Dropping some truth right on them. Blowing it all up. But don't, don't mistake this though, because Jesus is absolutely intentional with the words that he chooses. Jesus is the author of life. Jesus himself is the word, the living word of God. So every word that he speaks is perfectly chosen and designed to penetrate the hardness of the hearts of men. The hard words that Jesus speaks are so that they can get to your heart. If Jesus went about speaking platitudes and Jesus went about speaking soft words and sugarcoating everything, guess what? He would never reach the heart of man. And so when Jesus says, you got, you got to be all in, and that's what he's saying, you got to be all in for me if you want to have eternal life. I mean, there's a lot of hard words that Jesus says. I just I picked out three. I just cherry-picked out three so that you could hear some of these. Matthew 5, 39, But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil, but if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. That's some hard words, isn't it? You say, oh, that sounds great. Wait until somebody slaps you. you got to be all in. And then uh, Luke 9, 23, And he said to all, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Yeah. And, and, and listen, we, today we wear the cross like a little trinket around our neck and we think, okay, well this is what Jesus is talking about. Yeah, I'll take up the cross. But Jesus is telling them, hey, in today's terminology we might say, Take up your electric chair. I mean, this was a means of execution, but not just any execution, the most torturous, most horrendous form of execution that you could possibly, Romans could possibly imagine. Take it up daily and follow me. Those are some hard words. For the Christian, you know. Those are some hard words. Because you've lived it as a Christian. Any Christian, excuse me, every true Christian has, has been called by God, bid by God, to come and die. Die to self. Die to your way of thinking and take on the image and likeness of Christ. Luke 13, 3. No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Some hard words. I'm going to tell you something. And I, I want to stand on this. And I'm going to stand on it till the day I die. The Lord takes the breath out of me where I can't preach anymore. There is a real literal place called hell. 
And those who deny Christ, they never repent. They never change their mind and their way of thinking and reorient their life to Christ. Those that deny him will go to an everlasting place of punishment called hell. Those are some hard words, but it's the truth. Jesus doesn't mince words and he doesn't sugarcoat anything. Jesus' words are difficult, but they're difficult for this reason. They're difficult and intentionally hard because the Christian life is a call to sacrifice. It's a call to lay your life down. Any other preacher or teacher who wants to sugarcoat it and tell you the Christian life is easy and your life will get instantaneously better if you just sprinkle a little Jesus on top of it and you know, you get your holy water or whatever, if you'll do all of that, your life is going to get better. You'll be more financially successful. You'll be relationally successful. And, and your bank account will just start rolling over and over and over. Uh, those things are not true. The hard truth is that Christianity is difficult. It's not easy. It's not for the faint of heart. It's for those who truly have faith in Him. You remember what faith stands for, right? Forsaking all, I trust Him. It means laying it all down for Him. And Jesus knew that there were many that were following Him that day that were not ready to lay it all down for Him. And so He challenged them on that. And so then, now, not only are Jesus' words difficult, but now the words of Jesus are divisive. And, and what I mean by that, it, I don't mean that in a negative sense because Jesus' words aren't meant to cause strife and anguish. But on the other hand, Jesus' words divide just like the knife of a surgeon. They divide. They divide clearly through what's within you. And they divide you from other people if you're in Christ. And, and Jesus' words divided the crowd that followed Him that day. So if you look again with me at the text, it says... But Jesus, knowing in himself that his disciples were grumbling about this. By the way, that word grumbling is that word gongismon that we've talked about before. And it, what it means is like someone just banging a gong, bong. And they're over there bonging and grumbling and all of those things. And Jesus knows that they're doing that. And he says, do you take offense at this? Then what if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where He was before? See, He knew some of them said, He can't be the bread of life. He can't be the, the true divinity, divine Son of God that's come down from heaven. He can't be that. And Jesus says, well, hey, what if you watched me going back up to where I came from? You're going to get offended at that. You're going to be upset. You're not going to know what to do with that if you watch me go back up where I came from. And some of them truly got to see that. They watched Jesus go up into the clouds and disappear from their sights. And as they stood there, they were just standing, looking. And finally, an angel had to go, hey, wake up. <laughs> go do what he said. <laughs> you would do the same thing. You would be dumbstruck by that. And Jesus says, what, what if you were to see that? There's a spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. And what Jesus is saying is, listen, this is about spiritual things. It's not about physical things. Jesus wasn't saying physically eat my flesh and drink my blood. Jesus was talking about a spiritual reality. Yeah. 
He's saying, if the Spirit of God is revealing this to you, then you understand this. And if not, you're not going to get it. You don't get it at all. In fact, Jesus said, unless the Father draws you, you can't come to me. See, here's the thing. Today, even Jesus is speaking. And as he's speaking through his word, he's dividing people. Those who have spiritual insight and those who don't. There's a division that's happening every time Jesus speaks. And every time a a preacher of his word stands up and does what they can do in their own frailty and human ability to reiterate his words. The words of Jesus have been divisive from the very beginning. Notice in Genesis 3, uh, Genesis chapter 1 verse 3, God said, let there be light. And there was light. And God saw that the light was good and God separated the light from the darkness. You see the division? God said it. And every time God speaks, he's, we know that that's the voice of Jesus. Day and night in Genesis 1-5, God called the light day and the darkness he called night and there was evening and there was morning the first day. And then later on, male and female. And this is one that our culture just can't seem to get right for some reason. Don't, I mean, God made them male and female. There was separation there and distinction there. Equal, but distinct. God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God's been dividing from the very beginning. Good and evil, truth and lie. The devil is the one who blurs the lines. If you can live in the gray area on the fence, the devil has got you. Because Jesus is the one who makes it clear the distinction between good and evil. We like to blur the lines. To be like Jesus is to experience separation from those who are not like Jesus. And that's a harsh reality as well. The division that takes place, sometimes it divides you from friends and family, co-workers, the other drivers on Lillian Highway when you're on your way to lunch in just a little while. I'm going to read this uh, little tidbit from J.B. Boyce. Uh, D.L. Moody recorded this for us. He was a pastor at uh, the 10th Presbyterian Church in Philadelphia. He said, during World War I, one of my predecessors at the 10th Presbyterian Church, Donald Gray Barnhouse, led the son of a prominent American family to the Lord. He was in the service, but he showed the reality of his conversion by immediately professing Christ before the soldiers of his military company. The war ended. The day came whenever he was to return to his pre-war life in the wealthy suburb of a large American city. He talked to Barnhouse about life with his family and expressed fear that he might soon slip back into his old habits He was afraid that love for parents, brothers, sisters, and friends might turn him from following after Jesus Christ. Well, Pastor Barnhouse told him that if he was careful to make public confession of his faith in Christ, he would not have to worry. He would not have to give improper friends up. They would give him up. 
As a result of this conversion, the young man agreed to tell the first ten people of his old set whom he encountered that he had become a Christian. The soldier went home almost immediately, in fact, when he was still on the platform of the suburban station. At the end of his return trip, he met a girl whom he had known socially. She was delighted to see him and asked how he was doing. He told her, the greatest thing possible has happened to me. You're engaged to be married, she exclaimed. No, he told her. It's even better than that. I've taken the Lord Jesus Christ as my Savior. The girl's expression froze. She mumbled a few polite words and went on her way. A short time later, the new Christian met a young man whom he had known before going into the service. It's good to see you back, he declared. Well, I have some great, uh, we'll have some great parties now that you've returned. I've just become a Christian, the soldier replied. He was thinking, that's two. Again, it was a case of a frozen smile and a quick change of conversation. After this, the same circumstances were repeated with a young couple and with two moral friends. By this time, word had gotten around and soon some of his friends stopped seeing him. And he had become peculiar, religious, and and who knows? They may even have called him crazy. What had he done? Nothing but profess Christ. The same confession that had aligned him with Christ had separated him from those who did not want Jesus Christ as Savior and who, in fact, did not even want to hear about him. The same thing happens in yours and my life whenever we truly profess our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. The only true Christian is sold out to the core. Jesus will have all of you or none of you. He will not play second chair in your life. He is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And He is dividing the sheep from the goats, the wheat from the tares, the good fish and the bad fish, the faithful servants and the wicked servants. Matthew 20 and verse 10 through 12, Jesus talks about today. Would you hear these words? These words are about the land that you are living in today, the culture that's around you today, the circumstances that we find ourselves in today, and then many will fall away and betray one another and hate one another, and many false prophets will arise and lead many astray. And because lawlessness will be increased, the love of many will grow cold. Verse 66, After this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. These hard words that fell on hard hearts became the dividing line between those who accepted Christ and those who rejected Him. I want to tell you thirdly, not only are the words of Jesus difficult and divisive, but the words of Jesus are direct. They're they're pointed right at that spot within you and within me that needs to be uncovered. Verse 67, 
So Jesus said to the twelve. Now you imagine Jesus turning and looking at the twelve apostles. He's chosen every single one of them. He's called them all out by name. He's told them to come and follow him and become fishers of men. He's done many miraculous things before them. And he turns to those twelve and he says, Do you want to go away as well? I want you to hear those words. I want you to think of Jesus and look, look at him looking squarely into the eyes of the twelve Apostles, and I want you to feel the gravity of those words and of that situation. They've left everything to journey with Jesus. They've abandoned their homes, their livelihoods, their families, and everything familiar just to follow Jesus. Now the words of Jesus are getting difficult. Now he's talking about dying with him. This is the opportunity. If they've been looking for a way out, they've been looking for the exit door, here it is. Jesus gives it to them. And he says, there's the exit, boys. And if you're ready to leave me, then go. Jesus' words are direct toward every one of us today. Stop riding the fence. Stop pretending. Either commit or go home. And I want you to hear and feel the weight of these words as you see Jesus. See Him on the cross. See Him there, stripped of all of His worldly possessions, down to His bare skin, See the torn flesh on his back and the twisted carnal crown on his head and the blood flowing down on his brow. See his bruised face where they beat him and his pierced hands and feet where they nailed him and hear him say as he looks at you, Father, forgive them. For they know not what they do. And then hear him ask you. Do you want to go away? As well. The writer of Hebrews says these words. How shall we escape? If we neglect. Such a great salvation. In other words, where where are we going to go? So if you you find that exit and you decide to take that door, there's no way out. That's it. It leads down a dark hallway into a dark room you will be separated forever. How shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? It was declared at first by the Lord. In other words, the writer of Hebrews says, these aren't my words. These are the hard, heavy words of Jesus. And it was attested to us by those who heard. Look at your family in the eye. 
Look at your church in the eye. Look at Jesus in the eye. Can you walk away from the person that Jesus has called you to be? And he said, follow me. What could be more important than giving your life, your all, to the one who gave all for you? And so Jesus says this to the disciples in a direct way, just as he's saying it directly to you. Do you want to go away as well? But I want you to hear, lastly, though, Peter's words. And you think about what he says. The words of Jesus are desirable. Everything that he says gives life to those who believe it and receive it. And listen to what he says lastly. What it says lastly, Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? It's a great question for you to ask. Buddha is dead. Muhammad is in the grave. You can visit his grave. All the prophets are dead. Jesus lives. The author of life offers life today. To whom shall we go, Peter says. And then he says, you have the words of eternal life and we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. You think about Simon Peter. He often comes up as the spokesman of the group and he's saying, to whom shall we go? Well, he just watched Jesus Break the bread for 5,000. And if Matthew's account of the events lines up with John's accounts of events, he's the same one that walked on the water just the night before with Jesus. Matthew 14, 29, he said, Come. So Peter got out of the boat and he walked on the water and came to Jesus. Peter says, Where am I supposed to go now? I just walked on water with Jesus. In John 7, 46, the same thing that the apostles knew to be true, the officers of the chief priest, they find out the same thing and they can't arrest Jesus because they're so enthralled by the things Jesus is saying. And they say, and they get back to the chief priest, they say, why didn't you arrest him? And this is what they say. They said, no one ever spoke like this man. We got ready to arrest him and in the, the way he was talking, we just couldn't do it. The same thing happened at the end of the Sermon on the Mount after everybody heard everything Jesus said. They said, they they were just mesmerized. They were amazed by what Jesus said because no one spoke like him because he spoke with authority. Not like their teachers. Psalm 19, 9 through 10. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true. And righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. As Jesus was speaking that day, although his words were difficult and they were dividing the people, the sheep and the goats from the right and the left, even though his words were hard and some of them fell on hard hearts, Jesus was offering life as well. Because he was saying, listen, this bread that you guys ate, you know, you're hungry again. But if you'll come to me, the spiritual hunger 
that you have in your heart and be satisfied. And Jesus was offering that life to them. He's offering the same life to you and me. Now the very end of this text takes a little bit of a turn. It begins to focus on one particular person in the whole group, in the whole crowd. And his name is Judas. And Jesus says, did I not choose you twelve? I chose you guys. Because Peter speaks up as, you know, he's the, he's, he's the spokesman of the group and says, hey, we're not going anywhere, Jesus. You've got the words of eternal life. And, and then Jesus says, did I not choose you the twelve? And yet one of you is the devil. One of you is the devil. And what Jesus is pointing out right now is that, hey, you can give lip service to everything that Jesus says. You can be near in proximity to Jesus without being near spiritually to Him in faith. I mean, you can, one of the most dangerous places that you could be is right there in the pew, in the seat of the saints. But in your heart, the sinner who's needing to be saved. But somehow you've, blind, you've allowed your heart and your mind to be blinded and your spiritual ears are stopped up and you haven't heard the words of Jesus and responded to them in faith. And today, Jesus is calling your name. And he's saying that he wants you to be his disciples. I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes. As you hear the words of Jesus today, and he's saying, I am the bread of life. If you come to him, you'll never hunger again. You'll never thirst again. And he doesn't mean physically, he means spiritually. That you can have a soul that is satisfied. It's no longer, no longer longing and wandering, but it's fixed upon the person of Jesus, knowing Him as Lord and Savior and following Him with everything that you have. And listen, if you've not made that decision, you are destined for a place called hell today. You're lost, the Bible says. But you can be found today. All you have to do is say yes to the Lord Jesus. Mean it with all your heart. Put your faith and your trust in Him for eternity. What you do with the words of Jesus determines your eternal destiny. What will you do today? If you're trusting in Jesus today, I want to lead you in a prayer to do that. To just make your, your commitment of faith. Express that to the Lord in prayer. I'm going to lead you. You just say this in your heart with me. Say, Lord Jesus, I admit to you that I'm a sinner. I've done things I know are wrong, and I failed to do the things I know are right in your sight. And I deserve the penalty for my sin. But Jesus, I, I do believe that you came and you lived a sinless life and you died for me on the cross. And today I put my faith and trust in you for my eternity. Come into my heart. 
Forgive me of my sin. Make me a new person. Give me a home in heaven with you, I pray. And I'll spend the rest of my life loving you and serving you. Thank you for my salvation. It's in your name I pray. Amen. Will you stand with me? We're going to have our invitation. This is your opportunity to respond to what Jesus has done for you. If you've made that profession of faith, it's time to make that public now, to share with those around you what Jesus has just done in your heart. And you come and you share that. We'll love you and pray for you. We've got resources for you so you can grow in the faith and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And also, if you know that Myrtle Grove Baptist Church is the place that God is calling you to serve and make your membership permanent here, we welcome you. That This invitation is for you. And if you need prayer, we're going to have counselors that come forward. They're going to be here at the altar. And you can pray with them. You can pray right there in your pew where you are. Take this invitation and use it to the glory of God.